We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 this morning. This morning's message is entitled, An Unlikely Savior. And when I say Savior, I mean Savior with little s. I, I fear that sometimes Christians often make their biblical characters out to be superheroes as if they are otherworldly or as if they are somehow especially unique in comparison to ourselves. So we think of individuals like David and we think of Moses. We think of John the Baptist. We think of Isaiah. We think of Elijah. And we think of Joshua who we're going to be reading from this morning. And at times, we, I think that we put too high of an expectation on them or we have somehow sensationalized them, number one, because they're in Scripture, and number two, because they did accomplish great things. But what we fail to realize at times is how broken they were. There is only one superhero in God's Word. There's one, and that's Christ. He is the hero of every single story. We fail to recognize that God uses broken people to accomplish great things. And this morning, as we read this passage, I want you to know that God still uses broken people to do great things. It does not matter where you come from. It does not matter where you've been. It does not matter what horrible things you have done or what horrible things have been done to you. God still can and will use you for His glory and for our good. And this morning, we are going to be talking about the most unlikely of Saviors, and I mean that with a lowercase s. I'm not talking about capital S Jesus here. I'm talking about somebody who was called out by God at a moment in history where if that individual did not do what they were called to do, the rest of Scripture does not happen. And of course, we're talking about Rahab. Now, I understand that there are little ears here this morning. All right, so parents, you may have some explaining to do when you go home. I'm sorry. I, I, can't, I, I can't dumb this down. If I dumb this down, we're going to be dumbing down Scripture, okay? Rahab was a prostitute. That's what she was. She was a prostitute. She sold her body for sex. 
Now, adults, you all know what a pastor is. But I think sometimes from the pulpit, you just need to hear it in plain language. Rahab took money from men, maybe even women, so that they could use her. And yet Rahab, Rahab, if we go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ? When it talks about Jesus' ancestors, who is in that lineage? Yes, it's Abraham. Yes, it's Isaac. Yes, it's David, Jacob. Yes, David is in there. But who else is in there? Rahab, a prostitute. Jesus came from a line that included a prostitute. We forget that because we have been raised in Sunday school classes that tell all these wonderful Bible stories, and they are wonderful. Don't get me wrong. David and Goliath, uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? Not to be confused with Dolly Parton and the coat of many colors, right? I mean, all these different stories, right? Where you have these, these, and we make them out to be these big, beautiful, biblical heroes, but they are broken, broken people. I guarantee you, it is a very rare occurrence for one of our children's Bible stories to include the story of Rahab. And if it does, it whitewashes her background. So again, parents, you may have some discussion at home. Sorry. Okay? But that's just who she was. And let me tell you this. If it were not for the Lord working through her, she would not have even been a blip in history. But God called her out for a moment such as this that we are going to be talking about. And now her name is remembered, not just in the Bible, not just in an awesome story about God's deliverance and God's providence, but her name is remembered in the line of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. One of very few women included in, God, in Christ's lineage. Now, why do I bring that up? Because we should celebrate that. That God uses broken down people for his good. Now, I don't know if you do this, but there are times, there are times when I feel so ashamed of myself, of sin in my life, that I'm not good enough, that I am a that I'm just a broken individual. How in the world can God use somebody as broken as me for His glory? And when we come across those times, when we feel ashamed, when we feel guilt, when we feel like we are less than, we've got to remember that that's who God uses. He uses broken people. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, 
you were created in the very image of God, which means you have value. You have worth. You have so much value that God saw fit to send His only Son to die for you. God did not send His Son to die for our favorite pet. God did not send His Son to die for our economic stability or our financial prosperity or for our pleasure in worldly things. God saw fit to send His Son to die for you. If you had nothing else, if you were destitute and alone on a street corner with nothing to your name but the simple clothes on your back, you, in the eyes of God, are still the pinnacle of creation. The pinnacle of it. God created all things. And on that final day, He created man and He created woman. And He said, this is very good. Very, very good. God uses broken people for His glory. And we're going to see that this morning. Now last week in Joshua, what we discussed is that Moses, the individual who brought the, the Israelites out of Egypt, but into the wilderness, that Moses is dead. He's gone, right? He's dead. But his assistant Joshua has been raised up to take the people of Israel into the promised land. So this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, that was promised to Abraham, that was promised to Isaac, that was promised to Jacob, that was promised to Moses. Moses did not get to see. But Joshua was the one called out to take the people across the Jordan and into this promised land. Now, I'm just going to pre just give you a preview. There are going to be some very difficult things ahead. There are going to be some things that we're going to have to discuss. And we're going to have to talk about. Because there are a lot of people that don't believe in God because of what we're getting ready to discuss. The fact that people are slaughtered in the Old Testament. They're slaughtered. And they are slaughtered by God's direction. How can God be good and loving if He is directing people to kill in His name? Right? Now, some people want to just bypass that and they want to ignore it. But folks, it's there. We cannot get around the fact that that happened. And we cannot say, well, God didn't really want them to kill, but that was the only... No, God instructed them to do it. So there are some difficult things ahead. But fortunately for today, we're talking about a story of preserving and of expansion. And so we're going to be talking about the story of Rahab, a prostitute, who is going to assist the people of Israel 
allowing them to cross the Jordan and into the land of Canaan and to be able to conquer that land for God's glory. Why don't we open, us up, open ourselves up in prayer and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. I pray that you would be with me as I preach your word, Father. And I pray that even from the words of the Old Testament that the gospel would be made clear. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in here, Lord, who is struggling with their faith, if there is anyone who is struggling with their past, if there is anyone who is struggling with their own just guilt and shame about knowing who they are, Lord, Father, I pray, I pray that they would realize that God uses broken people. Father, we love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And would you join me as I read, and I believe Derek's got the words up there. We're going to be going through all of chapter 2, but believe it or not, it's going to be fairly quick unless I get on a roll, and if we get on a roll, we may have to take a break for lunch, but you get the idea, okay? All right, so let's start in verse 1. We're going to run through verse 7 here. And the first point I want to say is this, is that there are times when the kingdom of God is opposed. The kingdom of of God is opposed. Verse 1, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shedem, and that is how you pronounce that, folks, as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went, Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. All right, so <clears throat> let's summarize. Joshua and all of Israel is on the... Egyptian or the wilderness side of the Jordan. They have to cross the Jordan, which is a substantial river, cross the Jordan in order to enter this promised land. Before they go in, Joshua sends two spies to scope out this land, including Jericho. Now, this would not have been a quick trip. This would have taken time. All right, so Joshua and the Israelites would not have had word immediately. Second thing is that Jericho, if you remember the story, and even if you don't know your Bible, you will know that Jericho, it, you may have heard of the city of Jericho, is that city that had high walls that was almost impenetrable and that a miraculous occurrence had to take place for Israel to get in. But we'll just foreshadow that for the time being. But in that wall near the entrance is where Rahab's home was. Now, why was a prostitute there in that wall at that entrance? 
We don't know all the story. We don't know much about Rahab, really. We know that she was a prostitute. We know that her location in that wall was pivotal, not just for God's plan, but also for Jericho, right? So it is probably in, uh, the case where she would meet uh, travelers traveling to Jericho, and she would often report who was coming into the city. And so these travelers would come in. Now, they would have been, they, they, they would have been conspicuous. They would have been, you would have known who they were. There was something about them that made them different. We don't know if it was maybe their complexion may have been different. Their clothing may have been different. They would have been known as strangers as they come into the land. But they come into the land and they choose to house with Rahab. Now, why did they choose to go with Rahab? And it's very simple. It's because of God's providence. <laughs> God providentially had them stay with Rahab because she nor they realized at the time how important that was going to be for them. But that's exactly what they did. And what we find out is that Rahab, and we don't know this yet, but Rahab has a sense of who they are, who they come from, and who their God is. And so she chooses to deceive the king of Jericho, who if he found out would probably put her to death. He can find another prostitute to do his bidding. But she, she risks her own life to protect these two men. And then we see that the king comes requesting that these two men be made known. Because now everyone knows who they are and likely why they have come. And we're going to find out why or how they know and what they know here shortly. But the first thing that I want to bring up this morning is that it is, in this case, that God's kingdom is being opposed. Now, what do I mean by that? Joshua is the story, like I had mentioned last week. It is the beginning of the story of God expanding His kingdom. Now, when we talk about God expanding His kingdom, what do we mean? What we mean is that His glory, God's glory, is being expanded across the face of the earth so that people, so that individuals will know who is God and that everyone else is a false God. It will be made known to all the earth that there is one God and His name is Yahweh, and eventually we will know that His Son's name is Jesus Christ. So God is expanding the kingdom. Yet that expansion is being opposed. It's being opposed by people of the world. And the king of Jericho is one of those. Now, the king of Jericho and the, all those in the Canaanites, they would have worshipped 
many different types of gods. Many different types of gods. In fact, there was a, there's a plethora of gods that they would have worshipped. God of the air, God of the sun, God of fertility, God of crops. There's a God for everything. There's probably a God that tries to rein in long-winded pastors so you can get the cracker barrel. All kinds of gods, okay? But our God is wanting everyone to know that He is the only true God. And so the kingdom is being opposed. And so He wants to know who these two spies are so He can squash them quickly and squash all of Israel before they gain foothold and conquer their territory. Now, here's the relevance to us. Is that God's kingdom is still being opposed. Even today, it's being opposed. It's being opposed corporately, and it's being opposed individually. Now, how does that happen? It is opposed when we have individ- when there are individuals who push back on the church of Jesus Christ, that try to handcuff the church of Jesus Christ when the church attempts to share the gospel, promote the gospel. The kingdom of God is opposed when you go individually and share the gospel and the individual you share it to pushes back and says, I don't want to hear that garbage. I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about how God loves me. I don't want to hear about how there's a heaven that we're all going to. All that is fairy tales and make-believe. None of it's true. All of it was created just to make you all feel better. That is opposition to the gospel going forward. The kingdom is being opposed when Christians fail to fulfill the Great Commission. When we say we don't have time, when we say we are not skilled enough, when we are not gifted enough. Folks, God did not call out especially or only or uniquely individuals who had mammoth skills or mammoth education or great backgrounds or perfect shameless livelihoods to proclaim the gospel. He calls out broken people and he equips them. No one is able or capable to proclaim the gospel and God's glory until they are equipped by God. We have seen time after time after time individuals who the world would lift up on a pedestal and say these are the ideal individuals that we should be striving for and yet these are the individuals that instead of proclaiming the gospel they oppose the gospel yet God calls out fishermen and shameful tax collectors and prostitutes to share his glory that's who he uses Oh, so when Satan 
tries to come up to you and say, you're not good enough. You don't have value. God can't use you. And you listen to him. Satan is opposing the kingdom like he always does. And you, by allowing him to have a foothold in your life, are opposing the kingdom as well. I read this, this is just an aside, and it just comes to me right now. I was reading, uh, you see those memes pop up on Facebook, and and most of them are just coffee cup things, you know, t-shirt things, but one of them was very, very good. Maybe one of you all shared it, I don't know, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, but he says this, the the individual said, and I, I hope I'm getting this right, is that Satan works in two primary ways. And folks, Satan is very, very real. Satan works in two primary ways. The first way is by encouraging you that sin is not that bad. Yeah, that it's, it's a good thing. That doing what you want, even in opposition of God, it's okay. Remember what he said to Adam and Eve? Surely God didn't mean that you would die. So the first thing he does is he tries to convince you that sin is not that bad. But then, get this, after you sin, what does he do? He guilts you into saying you have no value. That you have no worth. That you are a worthless human being. Isn't that a dastardly thing to do getting you to commit the sin that then he is going to hold over your head for the rest of your life and christians deal with this too and this is what he whispers in christians ears jesus doesn't really love you you are not really forgiven of that sin that sin that you committed, that you think Jesus died for, is still there. You're still going to hell. Give up on sharing the gospel. Stop doing it because you're hellbound. Jesus hasn't done anything to you. You should feel ashamed. You should feel worthless. You're a worthless individual. You're trash. That's what Satan is trying to convince us of. And so whenever you have those feelings that you're garbage or you're trash or you don't have value, let me be very clear. Those are not the words of the Holy Spirit. Those are not the words of God. Because God does not call anyone trash or garbage or tell you that you have no value. Because he says that you are made in the image of God. Even the worst sinner in Scripture is still made in the image of God. Those are the words of Satan that are trying to convince you otherwise. And all of that, all of that is to oppose the kingdom. You see, because... Satan 
does not care about you. He does not give one flip about you at all. All he wants is to oppose God's glory and the kingdom of God. That's all he wants to do. But God, while wanting to expand his own kingdom, cares about you and loves you and died for you. And so here are these two spies coming to Jericho, and Rahab deceives the king and says, no, they left. Man, if you, if you hurry, you can go get them. You can go get them. But really, they're up on the roof hiding. The kingdom is opposed, and it's still opposed today. Second point, while the kingdom is opposed, Yahweh is still God. Before the men laying down, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, now, now if you don't hear anything else that I'm going to say this morning, I want you to hear what Rahab says to these men. Listen, read what Rahab says to these men. She says, I know that the Lord, now let's pause for a minute. She could have said God just a generic name for God. She could have said anything. She could have said your God. She could have said anything. I want you to see what she says here. She says, I know that the Lord, and all of that is in capital letters. What does that mean? She called God by his proper name. She said, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord, how Yahweh, dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What is she saying? She's saying this. You two strangers who have come, we have heard about you. We have heard how the people who oppose you melt before you. They, she uses the word melt. Melt before you. But it is not because of the strength of you people. Why is it? Why do these people, why do the Amorites, why do the people of Sihon and Og and all the Canaanites in the future, why do they melt before the people of Israel? Because the Lord your God is in the heavens. Because the Lord, your God, He is in the heavens and above and on the earth beneath. Your God is everywhere. They have heard of the power of God and they know that no one stands a chance. Because if God is for you, then what? Who can be against you? No one. No one can. There is no power, there is no principality, 
There is no angel. There is no demon. There is no opposition that can be against you when God is for you. But so help me if God is against you. There is no way to overcome that. Folks, there are many sides that you could be choosing, but I'm just going to tell you there is only one side that runs to victory, and that is the side of God. You do not want God opposing you. And the people of Jericho knew it. We've got to squash this immediately, is what the king of Jericho said, because if those people come against us, the Lord of of heaven and earth is going to cause us to melt before them. There's nothing we can do. When we go out as the church into the community, people are watching us. They watch us. And when they know that you are you claim to be a Christian, they are watching your every move. Some just want to see if you fall. Others want to see you fall because they are opposing the kingdom. Our only goal, our only goal as a Christian is to see that people worship That's it. Now you might say, well, I thought it was to see God's glory. When they see God's glory, they will worship. When you see and experience God's glory in its fullness, there is nothing that you will be able to do except worship Him. John Piper said this wonderful phrase, and John Piper is a wordsmith, And that's one of the reasons why I love him so much. And this is what he said, and I want you to burn this into your heart and burn this into your mind. He said, missions exists because worship doesn't. If I could simplify, or if I could explain that. He is saying the reason why we have missionaries going out to share the gospel is because not everybody is worshiping. That is our goal. Our goal, my goal as a pastor is twofold. One, as a Christian, it's to see that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they would worship Him in spirit and in truth. And as a pastor, it is to disciple the church of Jesus Christ to encourage them to go out to proclaim the gospel so that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they would worship in spirit and in truth. That's our goal. Now, it may happen in multiple ways. It may happen by feeding and clothing individuals. It might happen by going to India and building wells. It might be going down to the Simon house and providing 
uh, things for their children. It might be happening by cleaning up trash on the street, wearing Jesus loves you t-shirts. It might be the people of Israel crossing the Jordan, going into Canaan, and crushing the individuals so that the glory of God would expand as the water covers the earth. That's how it has to happen. That's how it accomplishes. But what I want you to know is that it is only accomplished by individuals doing God's will. And God uses broken people to accomplish His will. Yahweh is Lord, and the Lord is going before us. Verse 15. The third point is this, seeing red. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, then afterward you may go on your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that we have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and, sh- and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so it be. Then she sent them on her way, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. All right, so kids, here's what's happening. All right? Is that she made them promise that if she was going to God, if she was going to protect them and hide them that when the Israelites when God's people came to crush Jericho because she knew it was getting ready to happen she said please just preserve me and my family preserve me and my father's household and they promised they promised they said we will make this oath to you that as long as you stay in the house When that time comes, you and only you and your family will be preserved. Now, here's what I love about this. And I don't know if anybody caught this, all right? And I'm just going to tell you, I just recently caught this. We, you know, we hear the story about the scarlet ribbon hanging from the robe, right? You know, and honestly, when we do a little children's Bible study, that's what we talk about, you know, and might even do a little skit or something like that. We don't do the skit of the whole thing, right? That would be not really appropriate, but you get the idea, right? And so you had the little scarlet robe. You know, it's funny. God has a habit of doing things when he keeps people he's trying to protect in a home and then covering the door or the window with something red, doesn't he? Because that's exactly what he does in the Exodus. He says, you people, my people, stay inside and I will paint the doorpost with the blood of the lamb. And when death comes, it will pass right over. And here again, the two Israelites say, you stay in your home with your father 
and your father's people. And you tie this red, this scarlet ribbon to your window. And when the people of God come, death will pass right over. God is in the business of preserving and encouraging individuals who do His will. You see, if Rahab is obedient to God's will, she's saved. If Rahab disobeys, she will be condemned. Now, you might think, well, works don't save us. True, the works of Christ save us. But we are still called to be obedient. And when we fail in obedience, sometimes it goes very badly. The outcome can be very poor. And what we know here in a couple weeks is that Rahab was exceptionally obedient. And we know that this morning, because if Rahab had not been obedient, then she would not have been in the line of Christ with Boaz, giving birth to Christ millennia later. Verse 22, in our conclusion. And I entitled this last point, Victory Assured. And they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. And then the two men returned, and they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly Yahweh has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Those two spies and Joshua knew that the only reason why their opponents melted in front of them was because the Lord went before them. That's the only way. That's the only way it happens. Their victory was assured not because of their skill, not because of their giftedness, not because of some wonderful pedigree. Their victory was assured because of who their God was and the fact that He went before them. God is still going before us. Christ is going before us. And our victory is not only assured, it is sealed with the blood of Christ. It is sealed. Those Israelites, when they cross the Jordan, they're not crossing the Jordan, many of them are not crossing the Jordan with angst or anxiousness or worry. They are crossing the Jordan with confidence, knowing that Yahweh, the only God, is going before them and their opponents 
are going to melt. And we know that when that ceases to happen, it is not because God has failed. It is because they failed in obedience. So if we continue as believers in Christ to follow the straight and narrow, to follow Christ and to trust that He is going before us, I am not promising you that everything will be 100% prosperous as the world measures it. What I will tell you is that your victory over death is assured and your joy will be made complete. Rahab was an unlikely savior, little x. She is not who the biblical authors, given their own, under their own power, would have written about as their savior here, as their protector, as the individual who would keep them from harm. She is an unlikely savior to save the people of Israel because God called her out for a time such as this. But I want to conclude by saying this. that we have another unlikely Savior. And I mean that with a big S. No one would have written our Savior to be who He was. He was an unlikely Savior. A poor, gentle, and lowly son of a carpenter. Who was truly the hero that we need, the only hero that we need. And many didn't want him, but he was necessary. And that hero, that Savior, continues to go before you today. And he goes before you in victory. And that unlikely Savior who was born in a manger will be coming in the clouds. He'll be coming in the clouds. Truly the least will become the greatest. I could just make one practical statement about that. It's this. If that tells us anything, no matter how little you think of yourself, no matter what you have done or what has been done to you, no matter your place in life, no one Number one is out of the reach of God. No one is forgotten. Not one. No one is useless in God's story. We all have value. And it may just be 
that the least among us, who by the world's measure has the most shame and the most guilt, who has been cast aside and casted out, that it might be that individual that God is raising up to do amazing things. Do not count a single person out. Don't do it. Because God has. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. And we give you the praise this morning, Lord. And I pray that as we go forward and proclaim and to share God's word. that we would go with a sense of urgency and a sense of confidence knowing that Christ goes before us. Help us to have confidence in Jesus. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we fail you. Forgive us, Lord, when we think less of us, less of ourselves than you think of us knowing that our value does not come from worldly deeds, but our value comes from the fact that you have created us and you love us. And for those who love you, you are for us. Help us to worship the King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.